The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Whether you're a pistachio purist who loves the experience of cracking them open or you love the convenience of no-shell pistachios like myself, Wonderful Pistachios is the perfect healthy snack for when hunger strikes. And there are a bunch of tasty flavors to choose from too, like honey roasted, smoky barbecue, jalapeno lime, and more. Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Hello, hello, everybody. It is Mamba Day. I have on my Lakers gold um, in celebration of the GOAT, my GOAT, Kobe Bean Bryant. I'm Ashley Nicole Moss, in case you didn't know, and um, I'm running solo dolo today. Yes, that is right, because if we pan to the left of me or to the right of me, there's nobody here. But I do have Wu Out West with me holding it down in the studio. It's just us holding it down here today. I'm always out here. Always out here. <laughs> I stay always in the, the west, west side. We were, we were bopping to some um, OG uh, Dade County music before we um, got the show started. Yep. We got BC in the booth. He's holding it down. Um, I don't even think Manderville, a.k.a. Mander Legend, is here. But we do have JP, the voice of God. Um, the boys abandoned me today. I don't I don't understand. You know what I mean? It's kind of like everyone just decided, you know, they didn't want to well, work today, I guess. I feel like you've just... always kind of wanted the Ashley show, right? Yeah, but on my own time. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On my own you time. To grow into it. So, yeah. So here we are. It's me, myself, and I, but that's okay. I'm going to hold it down. We do have Anton Walker joining us a little bit later in the show, which is going to go ahead and be dope because we are going to dive into... This is funny. I'm talking, but we see Andrew's face. <laughs> there yeah. we go. Um, we're going to dive into a whole lot of basketball NBA talk with Anton Walker in about 30 to 40 minutes. So make sure you guys tune in for that. But listen, we are going to go ahead and dive into Mamba Day. It is 824, a.k.a. Mamba Day, in celebration of Kobe Bean Bryant. And the Lakers and Vanessa Bryant just announced that the Lakers are unveiling a bronze statue outside of Crypto.com Arena on February 8th, which would be 2824. Man. So, eight twenty four will continue. Um, do we have the video of Vanessa and the Lakers announcing that, or we don't have that yet? I don't think we have it. We yet. don't have that. That's cool. No worries. But um, yeah, we have a bunch of iconic pictures of Kobe Bryant in celebration of his day. We're gonna go through some of these. Well, this is my favorite. One of my favorite Kobe Bryant pictures of all time the jacket alone but he just looks so just like content the shower is so nostalgic it's such a dope photo um we'll go through a few more what's your favorite kobe is it 24 kobe or 8 kobe i would say 8 kobe and i think it's because eight, isn't eight it when he won the championship him and his beautiful wife vanessa here we go man when he won his oscar 
for Dear Basketball, which um, can I tell you made me cry? Did you watch? Have you watched? I that watched short? it a couple it times. I feel like he had a, a good chance at making something in in the in the realm of film mm-hmm. production. I mean, obviously, he had investments like Body Armor for sure, which he um, got a nice little I was, return. I was on. super excited to see Kobe's second half. Yeah, I was really excited. Him and his five trophies. One more than Shaq. <laughs> him, gold medal, Olympic winner. D Wade next to him, the, AKA the Flash. Yeah, I just, for me, I love eight. I love eight Kobe, but for me, I feel like 24 Kobe was when he really turned into the Mamba, the legend of the Mamba. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I feel like that's when he made that transition from a boy to a man in the league, and he really became. I don't know. I just feel like he became a different kind of Kobe Bryant. No, I, I love A is the Mamba was born. Mm-hmm. He had that hunger. He had that. It was new. He was young. But 24 Kobe was just when he became a full-blown assassin. I don't know. There's something special about 24 Kobe for me. He was older. Um, he was wiser. He was more unapologetic. I feel like he was more confident in him as a player, as a man. I just, I don't know. 24 Kobe for me was just eight Kobe on steroids. It's just something about it. I don't know. <laughs> was It was halfway through his career he changed it, right? Halfway, halfway through his through. career he changed it. I know people will say, well, eight Kobe was more dynamic. He dunked. He did all those, you know, amazing things that we saw. All true. But I feel like 24 Kobe was just like, I, I think you, I you said know. it. Like, he became eight was a, like the guy that was learning. He, he was, was right. He was coming up right. underneath Shaquille O'Neal. He, he had that fire in him. But then, obviously, ten years in the league or yeah. however amount of time, yeah. you're gonna sustain injuries. You're gonna have issues. Yeah. And 24 showed us that he really knew how to win. Yeah. You know, he didn't do it with Shaq. He went through years of losing to then meet up with Paul Gasol, right. And then create that team chemistry and start to win again. I feel like 24 Kobe is when he became an assassin. Is when he became a legend. Yeah. I yeah, think I that you, you know when he says you know what's the saying you know heroes come and go but legends live forever or something like that. Yeah. I feel like twenty four eight Kobe was cool. He went to the Rucker. He yeah. had the fro. He was like this young kid in the league figuring it all out. But twenty four was, was when, Moesha. is when he be, he Moesha. He had all the cool. <laughs> he had all the cool nostalgic photos. But twenty four Kobe was when I feel like he became a legend. He became yeah. bigger than the game of basketball. He became, you know, on a first name basis when he was 24. Yeah. When you say Kobe, you know who it is. You know, there's 24. only a few guys who you can say by one name and you know Jordan, LeBron, Magic, Wilt, Kobe. Yeah. And I feel like 24 was when that happened for him. So it's just um, like the uh, when you do a jump shot. Yeah. Kobe. Kobe. <laughs> yeah. Fun fact: I named my dog my first dog ever. Rest in peace to my Kobe, um, a yellow Labrador. I had him for 14 years. His name was Kobe. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And you had him for 14 14 years. years. I got him Christmas Eve when I was a little girl, um, still living in New York. And I remember screaming so loud. He had a red bow on him. And I remember, oh, my God, it's a puppy. <laughs> and um, Kobe's my favorite player. But he was Kobe with an I, not Kobe with an E. We switched it up a little bit. Kobe. <laughs> but, Kobe. yes, rest in peace to Kobe being Bryant. Rest in peace to my Kobe. And, um, yeah, just yeah. – Long Kobe live Kobe Bryant. Forever. I can't wait to see that statue. It's gonna be it's gonna be an incredible day. 
Um, okay, we're going to go ahead and switch to some football news real quick. Cardinals trade Isaiah Simmons to the New York Giants for a seventh-round pick in 2024. Isaiah Simmons is the la- in the last year of his contract, which contributed to why Arizona was willing to trade him to the Giants for a seventh-round pick. Now, the Cardinals declined Simmons' fifth-year option this offseason, meaning he is scheduled to be a free agent next offseason. Simmons will get to see his former team week two when the Giants play the Cardinals in Arizona. Now, the Cardinals are not going to be that hot of an NFL team. I don't think that anybody is expecting much from this organization. Um, There are some questions about even Kyler Murray. Um, What is he going to look like? There were some photos of him that um, leaked recently, or not leaked, just surfaced the internet recently. And... um, People were like, he doesn't really look even game ready, NFL ready. So you can make that assessment for yourself. But Arizona is clearly going through a rebuilding era. It is not a team that's going to be competitive. And much to my uh, disgust that I have to say this, the New Jersey Giants are a much better position (laughs) to go ahead and be competitive this offseason. I mean, this upcoming season, this makes sense. Andrew, I know you're a semi-Giants fan. How do you feel about this? I feel I feel good. I mean, yeah. anytime something good happens to the Giants, I'm always going to feel good. I still have a little – like, I don't feel confident 100% right now that we're going to the Super Bowl, you know? That's because you're not. Um, the disrespect is real. That's because you're not. I mean, I, I, let's – okay, okay, BC, we, we got the Giants fans ganging up on me, whatever, whatever. Right yeah, you by yourself today. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know I'm solo dolo. I don't have my fake Cowboys fan with me. I got to defend <laughs> territory by myself. Okay, that's all right. I'm built for this. But, yeah, no, I feel I feel great. I, I haven't had any real – anything come from, like, um, training camps, mm-hmm. uh, Hy- uh, Hyatt, Jalen Hyatt. He's been overperforming. So, like, I feel good, but I still want to see, like, the real game one against the Cowboys. I want to see how we perform in that game to really make a determination. For sure. Well, you're going to lose. So, I hope that whatever determination you make from that, you know, uh, it's just. You got, the, you got the Giants jersey ready? Uh, do you, I'm gonna. Which one would you Mine's all like? In the mail. You know, for the everyone who everyone who does not know, we have a three way situation going on here. That sounded crazy. <laughs> that yeah. That... Whoa. Okay. Hold on. That? Let me restate that. That <laughs> yeah, sounded crazy. That all right. We have a multiple layered bet going on here, as you guys know. BC and um, Andrew are Giants fans. So week one, the Cowboys and the Giants face off. Loser has to come onto the show next day in the opposing team's jersey. Mm -hmm. So I look forward to putting um, BC and Andrew in Dak Prescott jerseys, in uh, Micah Parson jerseys. I may even throw in a vintage Des Bryant just to switch it up. You know what I mean? So I was thinking about this, Ashley. Uh If we did lose, what size jersey do you have? Because I'm not wearing a small jersey. Oh, no, no, no. I get mine big. Oh, okay. Like, it may okay. not be something you'd want to go out in public with, but you could wear it on the show. Okay. Yeah, yeah it might okay. be a little snug, but it will be it'll be. If decent. you show up with a jersey dress. I'm no, I don't right have a jersey face, dress. Okay? I do have a Knicks jersey dress. Um, And then, obviously, remember, we I had the bet with Corey where he, as a Dolphins, Dolphins, a Dolphins fan, Dolphins. Um, <laughs> when the Cowboys and the Dolphins face off, we have to swap and wear each other's jerseys. So it's going to be a fun football season here. Brandon, obviously, is a, now a... Cowboys Jets fan so I'm not really quite sure where he falls in this bet I think he's really a Jets fan just playing with you yeah I mean yeah 
Probably. <laughs> I, but you're doing good. You're not let, you're good. not allowing. I'm not buying it. I told you how he reacts during the Jets. I mean, the Giants and the the Cowboys game will determine if I go ahead and approve his application. So there's that. Yeah. But no, we're excited. Uh, BC, you have anything you want to add in this? Week one. We Dolphins, like that, that was ass. funny. Yeah. We're going to whip that ass. I think we're gonna get a Danny Dimes jersey. If y'all put me in a Daniel Jones jersey, I will fight all <laughs> of you on camera in front of all these people. So just know that, like okay. we will box. So you already know. What At time least it give is. me a Saquon jersey. Nah. Danny nah. Dimes is so disrespectful. All right, Danny listen. Dimes. You gotta wear Danny Dimes. Me and BC wearing Saquon jerseys while you wear our Daniel Jones. That's sick. That's sick. That's All right. right. Here we go. Listen, we're going to go ahead and talk another team in the NFL, the 49ers. Now, breaking news came out yesterday via Ian Rappaport. 49ers quarterback Sam Darnold was named the team's QB2, meaning he will be the backup to Brock Purdy to begin the season, which then puts a bigger question mark on the future of Trey Lance, the former number three overall pick in the draft now um this is this is interesting because we have seen this trey lance saga i feel like go around multiple times um for a few seasons you know and it was you know trey lance got hurt and then what happened jimmy garoppolo takes over he does a great job jimmy garoppolo then going into the next season the 49ers make it a statement that Trey Lance is their guy. They're not going to go ahead and make Jimmy Garoppolo their guy. They are looking to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. Then Jimmy Garoppolo ends up, what happens? He ends up playing a little bit before he is ultimately traded. Um, But the reason that they wanted to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo initially was because they didn't want him lurking over the shoulder of what they called their guy, Trey Lance, QB1, the guy they drafted, the guy they moved a lot of pieces around to get. Then Jimmy Garoppolo, what happened? Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo's out. Brock mm-hmm. Purdy's in. Brock, Brock Purdy balls out. Okay, he balls out all season. Takes everyone by surprise. There was a question mark of whether or not Brock Purdy was going to be the starting quarterback going into this season. He did have, I believe, shoulder surgery. Um, but they named him QB one, which then begs the question: What the hell is going on? with Trey Lance. What are the 49ers doing every other season? He's the guy. He's not the guy. He's the guy. He's not the guy. When are we going to hold the 49ers organization accountable? Let's let's do this. We hold every other organization accountable when they have made a mistake. And for less mistakes than this, we have the 49ers who basically contributed a massive era in terms of trading away mm-hmm. what? They traded away a bunch of, I believe, picks to Miami, was it not? Is that how it worked? Or players to Miami? Someone fact check me on, on the scenario. I'm trying to remember how that happened. But basically, it ended up allowing Miami to get Jalen Waddell. It allowed Miami to get... It was three first-round picks and a third-rounder so they can move to number three for Lance. Exactly. So that el- that ended up helping Miami to rebuild. They got Jalen mm-hmm. Waddle. They got all those. They got two other pieces that ultimately helped them to become. But would you have wanted Trey Lance versus those? Now looking back at someone we're going to be talking about in a little bit, Tua. It's not that. Listen, quarterbacks, we have this conversation all the time. Quarterbacks are a hit or miss. Mm -hmm. quarterbacks are 
one of the biggest gamble or the biggest gamble when it comes to the NFL because you can be a sensational quarterback in college. You can be a sensational quarterback even maybe in the combine. And then you get drafted and you're a bust. We have seen it yep. before. We have seen number one draft picks not pan out, i.e. Or we've seen top draft picks, rather. I won't even just put it to number one. Look at like a Baker Mayfield. Look at like a Josh yeah. Rosen. Look but, at like a look Sam Darnold. Uh, well, Tom Brady was a freak like, of nature look, look at the end of the draft. Yes, the draft that's was. true. But we don't know where they're going to come from. For sure. But quarterbacks are the biggest gamble. So you always run the risk that your quarterback will not pan out, which is why when you get a franchise quarterback, when you get a quarterback, when you can go ahead and either find them late in the draft or early in the draft and they actually pan out, that is why nine times out of ten, you what? You pay them. Yeah. But the 49ers are constantly making errors. Now, they, I feel like those errors have been overlooked because they have been able to implement a system that they are not so reliant on the quarterback position. It's very just a plug and play. It's very much a just... We can put any quarterback in this system and we will figure out a way to make it work. So I feel like their shortcomings in the draft process have kind of been swept under the rug because of that. But we have to acknowledge this Trey Lance situation. This Trey Lance situation is absolutely insane. This is a guy they traded multiple picks for because they thought that he was the future. This is a guy they were willing and ultimately did trade Jimmy Garoppolo for because they did not want him causing any negative mental anguish to the guy that they went on record and said, this is our guy. This is the guy. We drafted him here. He is QB1. We want him here. This is the guy we drafted for a reason. And now the guy that you have gone out multiple times to the podium and portrayed that it is just a work in progress, but he is always going to be the leader of this organization is now not even your backup quarterback. This is a failure of the 49ers organization. This is a failure of the decision makers. This is a failure of the GMs, the head coach, the front office, the organization as a whole. And this is not the first time that we have seen the 49ers make a dumb decision. This is the same organization that passed on Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. This is the same organization that passed on Patrick Mahomes. I repeat, we cannot keep letting the 49ers get away with this. Can, let me let me uh, share this with you because um, so I looked into like what is the 49ers offensive style? Just trying mm -hmm. to give you more of an explanation. So it says the Shanahan offensive system is aggressive at its heart, but there are some conservative elements to it that ha have helped ease Purdy along. The running game is heavily featured. Regardless of who is in the backfield, the 49ers consistently build around a strong offensive line that blocks well for its running backs. So it sounds mm -hmm. like to me they're more of a running team, if anything, anyways. Which is why I said that they have been able to get overlooked for their failures in drafting quarterbacks because they are in a system that does not necessarily rely on the quarterback position to equal success. And right. you just said that. Like yeah. I said, they're a plug-and-play offense. You can almost implement any quarterback into that system that's an NFL-level quarterback, mm -hmm. and it will work in some way, shape, or form. 
But just think about this for a second. Multiple picks for a quarterback that's not even your backup at this point. You pass on Patrick Mahomes once upon a time. So, yes, I know people will say, well, they've been to the NFC Championship game. All true. But that's not because... That's not. That's still in spite of their failures when it comes to at least mm-hmm. drafting the quarterback position. Like I said, it's because their offense is not relying on it. But that does not negate them from the failure of of drafting a quarterback. They have yeah. done this multiple times. I just don't understand as a 49ers fan how you're you can even. I would be livid. Like yeah. I would be absolutely livid. But like with recent discussions of like the running back position. Mm-hmm. Do you think they're going to go away from this and start to actually like support their quarterbacks a little bit more and maybe change their offensive system? Since we're kind of stepping away from, not necessarily like we're getting rid of the running back, but obviously mm-hmm. it's been talks in the last few weeks that it's not necessarily the most important position. They seem to praise it. So I don't think that, I think the 49ers success is because they don't, is because they still are reliant on the run game. And I don't think that mm. you can go ahead and put... Brock Purdy is nice. Let's like I, I'm I wasn't oh, yeah. a, I wasn't I a believer, but I'm a believer. Is Brock Purdy a franchise quarterback? Is that a quarterback who will go ahead and exist in your organization for ten plus years? I don't know. I don't. I haven't seen enough of Brock Purdy to make that assessment. You can say that about a Patrick Mahomes. You can say that about a Lamar Jackson. You can say that about a uh, Joe Burrow. You can say that about a Josh Allen. And we can continue down the list. Mm-hmm. Is Brock Purdy in that caliber of franchise long-term leaders of a team? I don't know. Maybe this year we, we can make that assessment. But it is going to be interesting how much longer the 49ers can exist in a space where they are not reliant on the quarterback position in a league that is heavenly reliant on the quarterback position because it is now a pass first league. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting how they're able to continue to develop and evolve with the league going in a completely opposite direction of what has worked for them. Mm. So, this year is going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting year. You know, Brock Purdy had a phenomenal year last year. It's unfortunate how it ended, but they always say the first year, not a fluke, but the first year there's no film out on you yet, so people don't really know what to yeah. expect. It's like a magic trick. You know, yeah. the more you watch it, the more you can kind of figure out like how it's done. Brock Purdy was the ultimate magic trick. You really didn't know what to expect. He kind of was taking everybody by surprise. It's going to be interesting how he plays this year. Do I think that he's still going to be great? Absolutely. Like I said, a Brock Purdy fan. Um, They tend to give the Cowboys a tough time. It's going to be interesting how that turns out this year as well. But the 49ers with quarterbacks, man, I... I don't know. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. I am interested to see another year just because, remember, the whole... And I just kind of reminded myself of this, but remember, he's Mr. Irrelevant. He was picked last. Hey, listen. And Trey Lance was picked third. So that's why you know I say I mean? like, if he doesn't perform this year, I think it's the boot for him, right? The quarterback position is such a gamble in the NFL. Yeah. You never know what you're going to get. You never know where you're going to get the better quarterback. The better quarterback is not always in the first round. It is not always a top 10 pick. We have seen this before. Some of the biggest gems, quarterback position, other positions, but specifically because we're talking about QBs, have been discovered later rounds. It is... It, it's impossible to tell. It's impossible, it's impossible to, to tell. tell when, when or where you'll get a good It's impossible to tell. But 
What's not impossible to tell, speaking of quarterbacks, is how Tua Tagovailoa feels about Ryan Clark because, listen, Tua gets a sleeve and he starts getting gully, real gully. For people who don't know what gully is, that's New York slang for, like, he he's brazen. He's outside, outside. Out here. Listen, Ryan Clark recently um, criticized Tua's off-season work ethic, saying, quote, he wasn't in the gym he was not at the he was not at the dinner table eating with a nutritionist had advised he is thick end quote that is a legitimate quote folks hey. well Tua caught wind of that and he was speaking about his um Samoan uh heritage and he basically said listen we're we're tough-minded people but if we need to get scrappy we can get scrappy i would appreciate it if you kept my name out of your mouth so um you have that video? I know. Here There's a mixture yeah, of things that people don't understand, that people don't know about, that are talked about, that go behind the scenes. So, you know, I'd appreciate if you kept my name out your mouth. That's what I'd say. My background is, like, I, I come from a Samoan family. Like, respect is everything. But, you know, it does get to a point where, hey, you know, a little easy on that, buddy, because, you know, we... I think we're we're pretty tough-minded people, and uh, if we need to get scrappy, we can get scrappy too. Just saying. Woo! Hey, no Listen, easy on Tua, Tua gets a Tua gets a sleeve, and he just turns into a. I did not I'll know that he no. had that dog in him. Hey. Listen, Tua. I've always been a fan of Tua. I met him Miami Super Bowl at Radio Row, and we connected because his family grew up Cowboys fans, and we got to talk about our Cowboys fandom. Oh my god. But he always wanted to be a Miami Dolphin. Even when I spoke to him at Radio Row, he said, listen, I'm hoping they take me. I really want to be here. Um, so it's just incredible how it all worked out. But he was such a nice guy, so humble, so like kind. Reminded me a lot of the demeanor of Russell Wilson when I met him. I didn't know he had this dog in him. I, hey. I'm here for it. I am here for it. Ashley, let me tell you, man. As a native to Miami. Oh, my God. Okay. Let me tell you right now. Where's the stadium located? Miami, Miami Garden. Garden. <laughs> All right. So Tua know what time it is. He been he been smelling the Miami air. Mm -hmm. He it's not the sleeve. It's it's, it's Miami. Like yeah. he's turning out. Yeah. So now Ryan Clark, you better watch yourself. That's all I got to say. I actually, you know what? We, we've been seeing this the past few days between Tua um, and the NBA world, Lonzo Ball. We've seen it obviously before, but I absolutely love that these athletes are biting back at unfair criticism that analysts are throwing their way. I say this all the time. If you want to go ahead and critique, um, you know, the realms of the game and you want to go ahead and critique the X's and the O's, totally fair. And if somebody, meaning an athlete, bites back, that's kind of weak yeah. because you know what it is. You knew what it was when you signed up. You know, what you do on the field, what you do on the court is fair game to go ahead and break down and analyze and talk about and criticize and uplift and all of that. But when it comes to, you know, things outside of that, when you start talking about body types and we start name calling and we start going out and using fake sources and saying we heard this and we said that and none of that's true. I like the fact that these athletes are like, uh, uh, nah, you want the smoke? I got the smoke for you. I did not expect Tua to have this dog in him. No. He said, keep my name out of your mouth. Tua said, do not judge my ectomorph. 
Okay. Listen, I'm, he basically said if we if we have to get scrappy, we can get scrappy. That's the equivalent of in New York is, when you say, yo, what's good? You good? Is, you good? He's trying to put on weight <laughs> to handle the hits better. Like, people do that. Yes, that so, is like, true. So, like, to judge him on his body just don't even make sense. It's like, yeah. he could be trying to, he is already a smaller guy, so it's like, for him to take those hits, putting on an extra 20 pounds might help him. Yeah. You know no, I mean? but I absolutely love this. And I think that also this speaks to kind of where the mindset of Tua, um, where the mindset of Tua is right now. I think that there has been a lot of criticism about Tua, which is fair. I mean, yeah. there has been a lot of question marks about his game. Not all to the fault of his own, though. Um, you know, the, the Dolphins organization was going through a semi-rebuild. And I also think that the Dolphins didn't let Tua go through the growing pains when Ryan Fitzpatrick was there. Every time he made a mistake, they yanked him off the field. Yeah. That's no way to go ahead and let your future franchise quarterback figure out how to run and lead this team. That's not to any fault of his own. And then obviously the concussions and the hits have been a big question mark. But I absolutely love that he has this edge about him now. I think it's going to be just so influential in his game. And he's going to need it. The Dolphins are under a completely different spotlight um, when, you know, now than they were, I think, in the past. They're a much mm. better team. They have a lot of star power. Obviously, with Tyreek Hill there, you have Jalen Ramsey, who will be back later in the season. And all the guys in between, they're going to be under a different spotlight. Tom Brady is no longer in that division. The division has eyes on it now between the Jets and the Bills. Um, You know, it's going to be it's going to be a fun team to watch. And two is going to need to have a little bit of that, like. You know, pop yeah, back in him. Yeah. You know, that so, little bit of a, what you, like, oh, okay. Like, he's going to need that edge. And I, I like that he has it. I'm not mad at this at all. I'm not mad at it at all. But it, it does bring up a question based on, like, our last discussion. Do you think it's over for the quarterbacks that need time when they come in? Meaning, like, you have to be ready. Like, Trey no. Lance is about to probably get kicked out, even though he probably didn't get enough of a shot. But do you think it's over for them? Like, Aaron Rodgers, who sat down for a year or two. I don't think it's over because I think that most of the time, if you're getting a top pick in the draft, you're a team that's going through a rebuild. You know, you have to yeah. think about teams that have gotten draft picks, top draft picks in the past and got quarterbacks. You think of like Baker Mayfield. You think of Deshaun Watson. They went to teams that were what? Not good teams. teams you look yeah. at like CJ Stroud right now. He's in Houston. Not a good team. Um, so I don't think it's over because I think that if you are NFL ready and you're going into a team in the top pick, you're not going to a team that's competitive. So you have a little bit more breathing room. The situation with Trey Lance is different because he's been injured. It's mm-hmm. not because he's been in and the 49ers were a weird situation because the 49ers were again a team that wasn't at the time Super Bowl ready, but they weren't bad enough to consider be considered a full rebuild. Trey Lance, though, was a product of unfortunate injuries at the unfortunate time. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that it's going to be, if you're not NFL ready right away, you lose your spot. I don't think that. But going back to Tua real quick, but before we bring in Antoine, um, Ryan Clark did apologize. He did release a video on his social media account about an hour ago, I want to say, acknowledging that he was wrong, acknowledging that he messed up, which I have to go ahead and give, you know, credit where credit is due. That is more than Stephen A. Smith did with Lonzo Ball. Stephen A. Smith 
doubled down and moved the goalposts and said, well, you're not healthy. That is not what we were talking about, sir. And you know that. You know what you said. You said the man couldn't get out of the chair. He releases a video getting up and down out of a chair. And all of a sudden, now the goalpost of the conversation has moved in a completely different direction. That's not cool. There's nothing wrong with saying my bad. So I have to go ahead and give credit where credit is due to Ryan Clark because he went ahead and said, my bad, I crossed the line. My fault to yeah. won't happen again. I respect that. Um, and I'm not, I'm not mad at that. So do we have Antoine or we have one more time for one more story? Uh, we have Antoine on now. Okay, cool. Well, we'll bring in Antoine right now um, while we talk about this Kevin Hart story. And then we're going to dive into some NBA stuff. So okay. should we bring it? Yeah, yeah, let's do this. Well, listen, Kevin Hart. Hey, Antoine, what's going on? Can what's we hear going him? On? Can we hear him? I can't hear him. Oh, you can't hear him? Uh-uh. I can hear him. You can hear him? I can't hear him. Can you hear me? I can hear can you, you hear now. Me? Hey. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. All right, so here we go. Listen, Kevin Hart ends up in a wheelchair after racing Patriots running back Steven Ridley, let's <laughs> just watch, just watch this video, please. <laughs> nope. Do we have it? Do we have the video of? of... Well, we'll get to the video. Oh, here we okay, go. There we go. Yeah. Well, you know it's gonna be bad. Anytime somebody starts off by saying "well," it's bad. Ladies and gentlemen, the age forty is real. To all my men, women out there that are forty years old and above. Uh, it's not a game. Respect that age. Respect that age. Or that age will will make you respect it. I was just forced to respect it. Um, this is just a public service announcement because I know people may see me out. And uh, I don't want you to be alarmed. But I'm in a wheelchair. Yeah. I'm in a wheelchair. Why? Well, because I tried to jump out there and do some young stuff. Tried to go out there and do some young, uh, some young man stuff. And I was told to sit my ass down. Shouts out to Stephen Wiley. I'm going to go to put this story out there before you do. Me and Stephen, we got into a little debate. This debate was based off of who was faster. Those that know me know I'm pretty fast. Stephen said, Kev, ain't no way you're going to beat me. Stephen is an ex-NFL uh, running back, played for the New England Patriots. Very good guy. I said, Steve, you can bet it. He said, bet. I said, bet. We get out there, we go run the 40-yard dash. 40-yard dash. Guys, I blew all my shit tore my lower abdomen, uh, my abductors are torn. I don't even know what that is, but I tore them. I tore those two. I can't walk. Sit my ass down. This is 44. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I'm dead. First of all, if you, <laughs> how hard do you have to be running, Twan, to tear your lower abdomen? <laughs> like, how fast was he trying to go? Like, Usain Bolt speed? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> how does that even happen? And so he probably didn't shape. stretch out properly. Uh, how do you even, could, how do you stretch could... for that? Well, I, I mean, Kevin Hart's supposed to be in great shape. He does all these workout videos. Him and his guys do all this working out. I'm shocked. I know, I know. The Rock can't wait to make fun of him. That's that's oh. that's gonna be hilarious. <laughs> he can't wait. He can't wait. He might pull up in a wheelchair. I just, I just envision him running like full speed and then stopping like mid race and <laughs> like I can't walk. <laughs> I think I tore or like my... rolling over on the floor. Like to be in a wheelchair from a race is absolutely crazy. But they say like every milestone you hit, 
you know, from 20 to 30, your back starts randomly hurting. From 30 to 40, your knees start randomly yep. hurting. They say that's real. I mean, you hear NBA players all the time say, like, you know, once they're retired or just athletes in general, that, like, you know, their knees don't work the same. It's like the <laughs> uncle at the barbecues. Like, watch me, old head. Watch me back in the day. His shot, he got no hop in his, ju his jump shot anymore. I mean, age get gets bad. the best of us. It get bad. Yeah, I mean, I can't relate. I'm I'm not quite there yet, but you know. you're in between back and knees. <laughs> but you, you you still in the boot, Ash? I mean, I don't know if you can really. You in the boot? No, I got my regular shoe. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, you got to be getting. I mean, I mean Twan, what was in the boot though? Twan, what was one of the craziest injuries you've ever had? Like, not like you know a severe one, but just doing something stupid. You like sustained an injury that you're just like, oh hell. <laughs> How the hell did this happen? <laughs> I ain't never. I was. I was very fortunate. I, ain't ha I never had surgery in my career. Wow. I never was really hurt. So I was. Uh, the worst injury I had, I just twisted my knee. So I was out like four or five games, maybe. Mm. And it was like right before All Star. So I tried to. It was funny too because I didn't want to miss the All Star game. So I wanted to play. So I played with this big dumbass brace on my knee. <laughs> <laughs> you can see. I, I bet you see me. Well, I forget which All Star game it was, but I played with a big ass brace on my knee. That was that was just, that was the severity of my injuries throughout my career. I ain't never. I never was really hurt. I played below the basket. I wasn't trying to dunk on people and all that. I respect it. I my game. Well, let's let's talk some NBA. I want to talk about a team you mm -hmm. know pretty well and a guy you know pretty well. Two guys, actually. Eric Spolstra, he recently compared Anthony Edwards to Dwayne Wade. He said, quote, it's hard to look at Anthony Edwards and not see D. Wade. The way he moves, competes, and electrifies the crowd. Yes, that reminds me of number three. We actually have the video of that also, so we can take a listen to that now. Is there a particular player on this Team USA team that reminds you of D. Wade? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> we know who that is. Uh, it's hard not to look at Anthony Edwards and not see Dwayne Wade uh, in him. And I'm not a guy for comparisons, I'm not. Um, but the way he moves, the way he competes, the way he electrifies a crowd, uh, yes, that reminds me of, of number three. And I have told uh, Anthony that, and uh, I feel like I'm going back in time, you know, and it's just, it's making me younger again. I, I, I'm really enjoying it. Tuan, Anthony Edwards has been getting nothing but accolades, you know, since his time playing with Team USA, um, you know, during this FIBA, cup situation i mean he just is a dog like he just has a competitiveness a stature about him that is just so beyond his years. such a veteran his trash talk game is absolutely phenomenal but he backs it up and and to hear eric spolstra somebody who knows d wade one of the best players to ever do it recent hall of famer congrats to the flash to hear that comparison this early in Ant-Man's career, I mean, do you see the similarities and what do you think of the comparison? Um, I like it. I, I don't know. I haven't seen Anthony Edwards play enough. Obviously, I've watched them during the season, but, you know, being playing with D-Wade and seeing him every day on the practice floor as well as in the games, I mean, I know where D-Wade is at. Mm -hmm. Um but when Anthony Edwards, I think I could see some of the similarities. I think Anthony Edwards was a better jump shooter than D Wade from range. Um, you know, because obviously D Wade was not really necessarily a great three point shooter. That's not right. something D Wade did. He was more of a slasher, a guy that went to the basket. Um, one thing I do like about him, 
And one thing about D-Wade D is D-Wade is super competitive. Mm. Uh, and I think that's one thing that, that stands out to me about Anthony Edwards. He's super competitive. I worry a little bit because we've seen, obviously, from Kevin Garnett and certain um, superstars that have played in Minnesota, you can kind of get caught in the hole down there because they don't they haven't won a lot. Um, right. So hopefully Anthony Edwards and Kyle Anthony Towns can turn that around. Um, so sometimes he can get overlooked. But the skill set is there. I watched him play in the SEC. Um, and I was covering the SEC at the time. Right. Um, so I got to see how good this guy really was in, in one year. But I can see it. I just think he has more range than D-Wade. Anything outside of that, um, I can see the similarities that people do see. Um, but Anthony Edwards has more range. Um, the handle's probably the same. They both right. can get anywhere they want to on the court. Mm -hmm. um, they, both are, they both are super athletic. Um, so I, I like it. I think it's a fair comparison. And I have so much respect for Eric Spostrom. And, and he's the one guy. People don't know this. And if that comes from Eric Spostrom, it's actually probably accurate. Because for sure. He's the one guy. He's the one guy that worked with D-Wade every single day in yep. developing his game. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that. Um, you know, Spo was the one guy that was in the gym with him. He was the individual coach mm -hmm. that worked with D-Wade. So if, he can, if he's saying that, it's probably 100% facts. No, absolutely. I mean, people don't know that Eric Spolstra, I mean, I think people forget he literally started from the bottom within the Miami Heat organization. He was logging film um, and yes. became a head coach. So he knows this team and the players that have come in and out of this organization like the back of his hand. If he says it, it's got to be factual. Um, I do agree the competitiveness of Anthony Edwards is something that I see a lot of similarities in with D. Wade, especially to have that so young. He is such a just a dynamic player, his level of just um, desire to constantly be better and to constantly just improve and improve the people around him. Something you did say, though, that kind of stood, stood out to me is that, you know, he because the Timberwolves haven't won, it may get overlooked. And it's interesting you say that because Carl Anthony Towns, a few months ago, last month maybe, you know, he famously or infamously, you know, gave that quote about the Timberwolves having three bigs and us really never seeing that, not really seeing that in the league. And if it can work, and he said, just watch it. Well, we've watched it for X amount of seasons and it hasn't worked. Do you think that this is the year that it works? Not saying that this is a team that goes all the way and wins a chip, but do you see this team just accumulating more success and if not do you think it's time to blow this situation up well one i don't think you blow it up i think you got two young stars and college towns and, and obviously anthony elwood so you it's so hard to to draft well and, and get guys of their skill set so you don't want to start over um sometimes you may you got to find the right fit coach wise and then you got to find the right personnel to go around those guys yeah so that's the process that 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 takes a little time to get there to put the right piece around them. and then you in the west the west is tough so you For really sure. don't have a lot of time so you it's, it's different than being in the east where you make it take your time develop a little bit look at the miami heat team when you look about nine undrafted free agents and mm -hmm. how they were still was able to get to the finals you're not getting you're not doing that in the western conference you got to have guys that have been together for a while. You got to have basically two to three stars per team to try to make a deep run and, and, and to be successful. So I think with Minnesota, they got to continue to put the right pieces around that talent. And and that's the thing about them. If they can, can, if they can do that, 
and that they can accumulate. You know, I don't necessarily know where you want to start at, but you got to make sure the pieces that fit those guys' skill set. You know what I mean? Carl Anthony Towns is a great talent. Yeah. Anthony Edwards, obviously, a great talent individually. Both these guys are very talented offensively. Are you going to – is Rudy Gobert the right guy to have around him at center? Or do you play Anthony Towns at center and get another power forward? Um, do you get a scoring point guard or do you get a, a distributing point guard because Anthony Edwards can create his own shot? Right. Those are things that got to come from up top that they got to figure out. But you got two guys that you don't blow it up. You continue I, trying to build around those guys. I don't know. I feel like at some point you have to entertain blowing it up because how much longer do you try to make it work with the three of them without removing one of them or two of them? I just feel like at this stage in the game, the talent of Anthony Edwards is only going to increase. Carl Anthony Towns has his shortcomings, but I, I, I believe that he hasn't reached his ceiling yet. Rudy Gobert, for me, is the biggest question mark. Like, I, I, I'm going to be honest. Like, I get it, defensive player of the year multiple times. I'm confused by how that's happened so many times. I don't really see him a lot of the times being this, like, over-dominant defensive powerhouse. I I'm confused how he's won the award three times, but it is what it is. I didn't vote on it. But I just don't see how you can continue trying to force this trio to work without figuring out which one of them, or if not, which two of them has to go. Otherwise, you're wasting the talent of the other. Well, I think, it, I mean, obviously people have seen the success of the Joker and, and Jokic, but Jokic is a very unique center. I mean, it's a guy that gets triple doubles. True. He's a guy that makes so many other players better. Rudy Gobert is a typical center from back in the day. Block shots, rebound, not really skilled offensively. So that style of play does not work anymore in the NBA. He's a rim we protector two... at best, Antoine. Yeah, Let's say right. what it is. I, I, agree, I would agree with that. He's a three-time not... defensive player of the year whose only defense is protecting the rim. How that Explain to me how that works. It doesn't work. I mean, I think the game has just changed. I don't, I don't want to take away from his individual accolades that mm -hmm. he was able to accomplish, but that game has changed. I mean, you got mobile centers. You think about Embiid and the Joker, the two best centers that we got in this league. Those guys stepping out, shooting threes. They can put the ball on the floor. They can make plays for others. It's a different game now. I'm not saying I wouldn't want a Rudy Gobert on my team, but you're going to be limited. And if he's one of your main big three, I don't think you can be successful and make a deep run. I'm not saying he can't right. be a part of your team, but you may have to lessen his role. This is the kind of proper guy you want to play 24 minutes. You don't want him playing 35 minutes. So that's where the problem lies. It's just the game has changed. The traditional big man center does not necessarily work at a very, very high level in the league anymore. These guys that are playing center now are versatile. They can get triple doubles. They can step out shooting mm -hmm. three. They can make plays for others. And that's what we're seeing. So the game is just not in that in that sense anymore. Where back in the day, you would love to have a Rudy Gobert, a guy that can for block sure. shots and rebound. For sure. But now the game, yeah. the game has changed. I think you have – in Minnesota, he can't be a part of my big three. I'm not saying he can't be a part of the team. Right. But we have to get another guy there, whether that's adding a point guard that's right. a part of this big three, um, or maybe another wing, you know, but he can't be a part of that. He could be a part of the team. He definitely could be a guy, but he can't be a guy playing 35 minutes. He has to be that typical bag-up center that's going to give you 15, 18 to 24 minutes a night. Um, but if he's your big three, you're not going to win in this league. Not now. Too many versatile big men. No, absolutely. I think I think that the center position has drastically changed. We don't have a traditional center anymore. Rudy Gobert is very much that. Absolutely no offensive game whatsoever, which makes him 
a liability on the floor. I don't think that in this day and age, and I have this conversation all the time about a multitude of different players, you cannot have a player on the floor who has no offensive game at all because he becomes a liability, then essentially you're playing five on four because what's going to happen is the the opposing defense is going to go ahead and do what? Double team one of your better shooters, leaving your non-offensive player wide open to do what exactly? It's a liability. It can't be the case, which is one of the reasons why I say that at some point, the Minnesota Timberwolves are going to have to look at who's the weak link. And for me, the weak link is Rudy Gobert. I think that Cat and Anthony Towns can go up. Cat and Anthony Towns. Cat and Anthony Edwards <laughs> can go ahead and coexist with each other. But I just don't think you could have a big three with a guy who does not go ahead and even attempt, or when he does attempt, it's just mediocre at best to shoot that ball. But since we're talking about the comparison of Anthony Edwards, to D-Wade, let's talk about the Heat real quick. Damian Lillard, still in Portland. Um, it did come out via some sources that it is reported that Portland and Miami will go ahead and allegedly renege edge, ed, end trade talks amongst each other around training camp if they cannot come to an agreement. I mean, we're ticking and we're getting closer. We have a, we're about a month out from that actually becoming a reality. What's the holdup? What's the situation? I think if you really look at it, I think Miami's probably in a position they don't want to give up everything. And I'm pretty sure Portland wants to take their future away and probably one of their best assets that they have on the team, which would probably be a Tyler Hero or some of some sort. And you know that's saying that's a win the championship because you get Damon Lillard. You gotta have some pieces right. around him to play with. And I think that's the thing. And Damon Lillard's on the back end of his prime of his career. So you know, you're probably talking about another two to three years of you know, Damon Lillard playing at a very, very high level. And is it worth it? I mean, you also got to be able to put some pieces around him. So it, it becomes a very difficult deal. And I'm not saying Portland is wrong, but, you know, having the Brinch truck out and want everything under the sun for him. I'm not saying they shouldn't do that because he's that good of a talent. Uh-huh. But at some point, but at some point, Portland has to make a decision on whether their rebuilding process, does Miami have enough assets, um, draft picks, and maybe young players to help them continue with their rebuilding process. And I think they, they, you have to, and this is one thing about organizations that sometimes I get a little upset about. Let's do right by the guy. The guy's been very That's loyal to you. That's the point, he's, right there. He's, he's, let's be loyal to this guy. He's done a lot. He's been great. He's stuck, stuck through some tough years. Um, he's been, you know, hasn't demanded trades, hasn't went anywhere. Let this guy now at the end of, the, at the end of his prime of his career right. play for a title. Right. Play for a contender. I mean, I think that's only fair. Obviously, they've done a great job of paying him. He's probably, you know, obviously they paid him max dollars twice. So they've done a good job of that. But give this guy a chance to win. If you know you can't put a championship quality team around him, don't stick up everybody in the league for him because he's in the back end of his prime. So teams are going to be reluctant to give up a whole lot for Damon Lillard, even though he's a great talent. Right. And I think that's where, the, that's where you're at right now with the Miami Heat. They can't leverage their whole future for a guy that probably is going to play on the two, three more years at a very, very high level. And Jimmy Butler's the same. The superstar they got on their team has probably only got another two, three years at a high level too as well. So right. you got to think about your future. And it seems like the Miami Heat are thinking about five, seven, eight years down the line too as well. They're not just thinking, you know, short term because there's no guarantee that by him even getting on a team that they're going to win. The East is tough.
So right. good teams in the East. I mean, let's break this down a little bit. Miami has already lost a crap load of assets to free to the offseason, right? I mean, guys that were there during that championship run um, are no longer there. You know, L.A., Cleveland, guys went ahead and got paid, which was expected. So you've lost a lot of that outside shooting. You do have some assets left. Tyler Hero is an asset. You can go ahead and leverage him. You do have the guy that they just drafted, um, uh, Jaquez Jr., I believe, out of UCLA. You do have picks, but it's not necessarily enough for the caliber of a player that Damian Lillard is. Now, this is why there has been talk of multiple teams getting involved, but the more teams you bring into a trade situation, the more teams that need to go ahead and be compensated for what they're moving. They have to go ahead and feel like they're being adequately compensated for what they're giving up that gets a little bit tricky I do agree with you though the frustrating part of this situation for me is yes should Portland give him away for pennies no Damian Lillard is a superstar you don't trade superstars for nothing but it does seem to me that and I I know people will go ahead and say well Dame knew what it was he knew what the market was if he would have gone ahead and asked out seasons ago or when CJ McCollum left he wouldn't be in this situation he'd probably already be out of Portland fair point he loyal to the soil whether you agree with it or not he did stay in Portland maybe longer than he probably should have if he was if he wanted to go and get ahead and get traded and also make the trade feasible for the Portland Trailblazers I hear all that factual also, no trade clause. So unlike a Bradley Beal who can dictate where he goes, Portland doesn't have to send him to his ideal destination if it's not feasible for them. The situation that's frustrating for me is I almost feel like, and I could be wrong, but this is the way it's coming across to me, and Andrew, go ahead and chime in. I feel like Portland's not in a hurry or not really trying to go ahead and make this trade possible for a guy who I feel like has given them so much and then some. It seems like they're dragging their feet a little bit. It's not really a priority. It, they bashed, you know, allegedly bashed him or the NBA bashed him and his agent for constantly putting out there that he only wants to be traded to Miami. He's only going to go to Miami. It just seems that they're not really treating this like a superstar who's been loyal. Antoine, you know, the unspoken rule in the NBA is what? When a superstar requests a trade, you're supposed to do your best to adhere to it. Not like a James Harden who has a superstar mentality but no superstar results. Dame has kept this organization afloat his entire career. You're supposed to do move heaven and earth to make him happy because he has done what he can do for you. I just feel like they're just kind of chilling and picking in their feet of like, mm, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I don't feel an urgency. I could be wrong. I don't feel an urgency. I, 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 would, I would add to this though. One thing about Portland has to make this right. This is, I mean, that this is a chance for them to rebuild and really, either add picks or add, you know, very good young player, mm -hmm. maybe two young players. And I think they have to, I think they're trying to make this happen with Miami Heat, but it may have to happen with somebody else. Right. That's a conversation that they have to have with Dane. We know you, your wish list is to go obviously to the Miami Heat, but hey, we like the assets at Sacramento or, you know what I mean, at another place. 
So you got to think about that. That's something Dame has to think about. I mean, it's nothing wrong with wanting to go to Miami. Yeah. But it might be, it, I, I think up top, it may be some other teams that may have a, they may want those pieces. So if you want to leave to get an opportunity to win, which that would be the only reason why Dame would right. want to leave. If right. you want to play for a, a contender team, the teams that are probably out there that, that they probably want to go to, that may want to make this move, probably don't have what Portland wants. And that's what makes it tough. So then, then it becomes a situation that, hey, we're just gonna we're doing you a favor, uh-huh. but the favor was done already. So this is one thing about guys, and this is the thing that was tough. And people don't, when Dane took that extension, you handcuffed yourself. He didn't have to take the extension, but when he took the extension, he handcuffed himself. He had aspirations of wanting to play for a title right. and play for another team. But it's hard because it's a business. I'm not gonna turn down sixty million dollars a year either. I don't think nobody's going to do that. Right. So it, it, it's two it's two sides to it. So when they presented that extension to him, he could have easily turned that down, became a free agent, and had his pick of the litter. But instead, it's tough when they offer you sixty million a year mm-hmm. and, and, and an extension. You it's tough to turn that down. So he has to be patient. It may not be the Miami Heat. It may be another situation. Hopefully, it's a, t- a situation where he doesn't have to rebuild or be on a 500 team he could be on a team that's going to actually have a legitimate chance to win a title but that may not be because he's carrying a huge salary and you know i mean it's tough but he's in a situation where it's going to take three four players possibly to make this deal happen and i don't know how many organizations and teams towards the back end of your career is going to be willing to leverage their future for dame lillard is there also a possibility in this that uh Maybe with the recent weeks, they've seen something, maybe like a couple practices with Scoot Henderson. And basically from those practices, they probably want to see what Damien can do with him, meaning that they're willing to implode this trade in order to see what that future looks like under maybe these extension contracts. I mean, that's always a possibility, but then you run the risk of two things. I think that you run the risk of having a disgruntled star in Dame and again, I don't think it's Dame's personality to like sit out and not play. There are some guys who will pull that card. Dame doesn't strike me as that person. He's not going to not show up to training camp. He's not going to not work with those guys. He's not going to sit out the season. He's a baller. He's a hooper. He he just, he, I don't feel like he has that in him. It's not in his DNA. But if you implode it on purpose and it comes back to him, which it will, you, you ruin the relationship of between Dame and the organization, which then trickles down by byproduct to the young group of guys that you have. I think that much to Tuan's point, and I agree with you completely, I understand the desire to go to Miami, and I get it. They're a championship-ready team, and you are in a stage of your career where you've gotten paid. You want the chip. You want the hardware. The issue is, is making that happen. And I agree with you, Tuan. At this point, I feel like if it's not Miami, the other teams that can trade for him are not championship ready. You might as well stay in Portland and finish what you started. Because going to, say, a Brooklyn, for example, because there there was a report that he was intru- that that was a possibility. Going to Port- going to Brooklyn is like staying in Portland. It's the exact same situation. That team's not going to win. They'll be a playoff team. They're not a championship team. They're not a deep playoff team. They're trying to figure out their identity post-Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and James Harden. You have a young group of guys. You have a new group of guys that have to try to figure out how to play with each other. You might as well stay where you are. So I get where he wants to go, but there's a strong possibility 
that Portland is where you're going to remain. And that's only because there's nothing in the market that will else adhere to your needs. And it's unfortunate, but it's, I feel like that's where we are. It's Portland or Miami. That's really it. And I, also to, to add to that, and I think what people, sometimes people don't understand, if I'm Damon Lillard, don't, don't get me wrong, obviously you want you want to play for a title, you want to have a chance to be in the mix. Um, but also it's a business, and he made a business mm-hmm. decision by signing his extension, and which every player should do. Because it, when sometimes when your skills level diminishes, teams move on from you. And sometimes guys don't get their just due and get paid. But the fact that they took care of him, they extended him, Finish it out there. Don't get me wrong. I, I got me an NBA title. It's nothing like it in the world to be right. able to be a champion. Um, but at the same time, you made a business decision and you put yourself out of championship contention when you made that decision. For sure. And you could continue. He's going to be a post. Like I say, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. We all know that. He'll go down in history as one of the top, depending on where you want to rank him at, top 10, top six, top seven point guard to ever play the game. Um and he has to realize that that's the decision that he made. And there's nothing wrong with the decision that he's made. You know what I mean? A lot of guys need to take that sometimes. You know what I mean? We we put winning sometimes over Shoot. personal sometimes. Yeah. But I wouldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, I would take personal over, over winning any day, of the, any day of the week. Not mad at it. Yeah, so I'm not mad. I think, obviously, right now, he probably think he could force their hand. But the Portland, Portland's not going to leverage their future unless they're going to get it back, get something great back in return. I don't blame them. That's how you got to do that. They want picks. They mm-hmm. probably want a good, young, talented player. And if they're not able to do that, they're not going to buzz. They still got a great point guard who's going to lead their team, who's going to make them competitive every night. And he's probably going to be great around their young guys. So it's, it's a win-win for Portland. They yeah. feel like these teams got to give up give up the assets that, that we're asking for. If not, we're going to stay with, we're going to stay with Dame and he's going to lead our team. Well, listen, we'll be on Dame Watch for another month or so before training camp actually starts. We're going to switch gears a little bit. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. For your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. The New York Knicks are suing the Toronto Raptors. Now, this is a very interesting story. The Knicks have sued the Raptors, members of the Raptors organization, and a former Knicks employee who they allege illegally procured and then disclosed proprietary information to their athletic division rival, AKA the Raptors. Um, This is interesting because the Raptors missed the playoffs. So how do you steal and then lose? Um, 
Per, per Ian Begley of SNY said the Knicks lawsuit against the Tor against Toronto alleges that an ex New York Knicks employee hired by the Raptors shared proprietary information from the New York Knicks synergy account strategy analysis on Dallas Denver and Indiana and more to help first year head coach Darko Rajavik. I hope I said that right. Um, it's I mean, again, you go through all of that. Talk about cheating backwards. I mean, you cheat and you still don't make the playoffs. I don't really know how that works, but that's this is a very bad look. This is uh, spy gate, deflate gate, whatever you want to <laughs> call it. Um, Twan, have you ever heard of anything like this in the NBA? Like during your career, has there ever been a story of a team or a player or about a player, an employee leaving an organization, going to another and taking files and information with them. I mean, is this the White House? What the hell? <laughs> no, I never heard of this, but I'm, I was telling when I when I heard the story, is that is that really illegal? I mean, if you're like, uh, yes, just a matter, <laughs> it's okay, totally just illegal. A matter, okay, just okay. Just say if I was so anything, if I'm if I was a coach or if uh -huh. I was in the front office and the way we may break down talent, the way we may scout another team and I get a scouting report, you get player scouting reports. What if I was a, a player and I kept every scouting report that I ever got? And I just built up because I want to be a coach one day. Right. And I'm just keeping that information. I'm learning something. I don't understand how it's, it's wrong if he's if he's a part of the organization, he's getting this information and he kept it. Because no, that information was secured while you were under the employment of a organization. So technically that is proprietary that belongs to them. It's not yours. It's yours while you work for them. But when you leave, if it's not in your head, you can't take it with you. Like this guy actually took proprietary information from systems within the New York Knicks organization, oh. scouting reports and, and game film and all these other things that would go ahead and help the Raptors a leg up on their competition without doing the work. It's basically like the Cliff Notes version. He just took it and said, oh, I'm right. gonna help y'all out, but then gave it to them and they still were a terrible team. So, I mean, if you're gonna steal, yeah. my whole thing is, is like, <laughs> if, you, if you're gonna cheat and you're gonna steal, you better make sure your outcome is like beyond expectations yeah. because if it's not now you're a thief and a moron and that's a wicked combination. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think it's nothing wrong. I think for me, if I was in that position where I was trying to be a coach and I was working on the head coach and I was keeping information to make me a better coach, um, that's a different thing. You keep yeah. that personal and, and just to help you out. But obviously, if you're losing it in this sense where the Knicks feel like the Toronto Raptors have, you know, how this guy stole stuff, then obviously it should be some repercussion behind it. Um, it's not the way to do business. But yeah, I can understand the guy probably just kept everything. You know what I mean? You know, everything mm -hmm. sitting in these meetings. You know what I mean? He's sitting there with the meetings. He's probably taking all the scout reports. He's taking all their data, everything that comes on the board, any information that they're handing out. He probably got a big file, big box. Well, let's and let's let's add another tier to this. Not only did he take proprietary information in the physical sense, but it has been discovered, which again, you can't be a thief and a moron. That's the lesson of today. <laughs> That's the lesson of today, folks. Um they accessed the New York Knicks video system remotely from the Raptors organization 
over wow. 2,000 wow. times. You do know there's IP trails. It is technology. <sighs> Nothing is a secret. Is it, there's a literal digital wow. trail that traces it back to you over 2,000 times accessing a video system that you know the information to access to, obviously as a former employee, over 2,000 times. How dumb can you be? I'm just, I'm just curious. One thing is, what are you getting Look, I, from it that you don't get in the 82 games during the season? I don't know. Maybe he was fired, like, unjustly, or maybe he left on bad terms and he's a disgruntled but, employee. Maybe the Raptors were like, hey, we'll give you a little extra something in your, in your yo, paycheck. The, the Raptors you are wild. You know I don't know. <laughs> but the fact, that the, the fact that you even broke it down even more, I think, it's something that the league needs to really take very serious. For sure. Um, one, one, you do sue, you do sue the Raptors, but this guy should no longer be allowed to work in the NBA. Period. Mm. I mean, yeah, I think I it's that serious um, because you never know. This could be going on in, with multiple more people. Right. You know, when people get fired and you know they get upset, they 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 try to get them some get back. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, so right, right. It's, it's kind of it's one of those situations. So I think. This league needs to take this very serious. I think they need to come down hard on the Raptors. Obviously, you know, probably the people up top from the Raptors didn't know this was going on. For but sure. they got somebody has to be punished. But you gotta lay the you gotta lay the law down early. Now that you're telling me more about the story, you gotta lay it down. I, you gotta set an example right now. For um, sure. It's not cool at all. You they gotta set an example. I have to also kind of come down on the Knicks. My dad has worked in IT my entire <laughs> life. You know, he, he's head he's headed multiple IT departments, CEO, all that stuff. IT, that's his bread and butter. Engineer, I've known code since I was a little girl. Like, it's that extreme in my house. How the hell do you fire an employee that has access to your video system and not change your password? Yeah. Not change your login. Not add a firewall. Why was he even able to access this account? Again, not taking away from him being a thief and a moron, but how has it been? How was he even able to access the account remotely with the same login information that he was using under the MSG roof? How does that even make sense? It does. Shoot, people break up and change their Netflix passwords like the same day. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> like. <laughs> And that's Netflix. I, I know for a fact y'all have done that. You had a girl, y'all were kicking it. She had your Netflix password, your HBO Max password, da 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 da, da And you, you guys break up. That has changed within like... the hour. That girl trying to go home and cry, watch The Notebook, and she wow. can't even log into Netflix because it's like password has been changed. And you're like, wow, you asshole. For real? Come on. That's so true. That's crazy that you say that. This was a couple <laughs> years ago, I had a Hulu account. Uh, uh, was it Hulu? Hulu? Yeah, Hulu. <laughs> yeah, I changed my password so she couldn't use my Hulu account no more. <laughs> yo, <laughs> did she hit you up? Did she hit you up? Like, yo, why'd you change the password? Yeah, of course she did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't think I was gonna do that? Wait, what'd you say? Or did you leave her on red? Did you ghost her? No, I'm like, no, I'm not going to change. Now you can't get my passcode. <laughs> so dude, you're talking to to give you this passcode. I'm paying this $15.99 a month. Listen, uh, and for the chat saying I'm a victim, nah, I'm the password changer. You're not getting I, I, got all, I got all the streaming apps. I'm the password changer, baby. Like, right? once it's done, my HBO bag's coming with me, okay? <laughs> you're Bye. You're not going to finish Handmaid's Tale if I got that anything to do with it. That is hilarious. 
What did you say, Andrew? I said you're not gonna finish that episode of Hands Made Tell if I yeah. got anything to do with it. I hope you enjoy. I hope. Listen. I hope you enjoyed watching. Uh, yeah. trying to catch up to billions. Now you're gonna have to catch it on cable because <laughs> you ain't using my account no more. Um. But no, you're right. You're right. I think it wise, hey, if we man. get back to the subject at hand, I think. I think it's a major slip up, actually. Major for slip a, up for what, sure. These are like billion dollar companies, and I just go to Toronto and I could just log into your company and just yeah, steal all sick. your data. That's sick. Yeah, 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 for sure. The chat saying that me and Twan are petty. I just say we're we're. I just say we're we're fine business people. <laughs> That's all. Nah, yeah. That's business one on one. You can't you can't take back the purses, the shoes. The, no, yeah, I mean, hey, you got a good point. <laughs> hey, I try, I try to get. That's not true. People back. take back cars and stuff like that. I was, I was trying Quavo to get the engagement ring back. She, if she just set that engagement ring down, I was getting it. <laughs> The engagement ring on the counter, and Twan's like, I'll take that. Just put it in my pocket. And I was like, man, I was thinking about what I paid for it. I was like, oh, man, if I can get a hold of that back. But you do know that legally in most states and most countries, the engagement ring is considered a um, business agreement contract of marriage. And if you don't get married, you're supposed to give the ring back. Like, you don't, unless the person says you don't have to, and that's an agreement. But technically, it's considered a contract of marriage. If there's no marriage, they legally are allowed to take the ring back. But what happens if you are married? Or no, if you you're married, married, once you're married, like that's different. Like then oh, that's different. Okay, but no. once if you never get married and you're disengaged, in most states, um, you can take the ring back. Like it's considered a contract of marriage. Marriage never happens. The ring no longer belongs to you. That's so good information to know. Oh wow. Yeah. So that's, that's good information. And now you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. A lot of people out there writing that one down. I know. Well, right. Right. <laughs> Speaking of a lot of people, um, this conversation about Steph Curry and Magic Johnson has caught fire on NBA Twitter. We're going to go ahead and dive into all of the analysis. Um, for starters, Nick Wright on First Things First said, quote, I think we'll see another Steph Curry before we see another Magic Johnson. Listen to this. Magic has him in titles, five well, to four. This is Magic Jason has him in MVPs. Hold on, two. listen. I, there we go. The I will say this: I think we will see another Steph Curry before we see another Magic Johnson. Oh, really? Yeah, because now everyone is trying to be Steph and Magic. Because you can't try to be six nine, so you have to have this court vision. Which you know, <laughs> there are a few things Magic had that were natural gifts that you just can't always have. Like, LeBron, I think, could have been magic, but went a different route and, you know, was kind of a, a combo of different great players. I think we're going to see another step. And that's, again, I've given Steph all the flowers I possibly mm -hmm. can. I just think because so many people are trying to do it and because he is a size that so many more people are, someone is going to crack the code to a degree. All right, and then we're going to go to Jason McIntyre of the Volume Sports who said that Steph Curry has had a better career than Magic Johnson. He said, quote, on how many of those Lakers teams was Magic Johnson the best player? Listen to this. Magic has him in titles, five to four. Magic has him in the MVPs, three to two. Magic has him in finals MVPs, three to one. Where's Curry better? If you're doing it that way, you're forgetting something massive when it comes to Magic Johnson. He was drafted onto a team with one of the top four players in the history of the sport, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. 
a few years later, they end up getting James Worthy in the draft. So you're telling me Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and James Worthy were the nucleus of a team that wrecked the 80s. And now all of a sudden, Magic's getting all the accolades for five titles? He did win, oh, oh wait, no, he, he didn't. He didn't win a title without Jabbar. On how many of those Lakers teams was Magic Johnson the best player? Outside of a window where Kevin Durant showed up in Golden State and they won two titles. Steph Curry unequivocally was the best player on the, all those Warriors teams. All of them. And lastly, but not least, mm. my favorite one. Yeah, boy. Is Stephen A. Smith <laughs> claiming that at 5.45 a.m., Michael Jordan texted him to tell him that Steph Curry over Magic, that backed Steph Curry over Magic Johnson Wait, let me rephrase this. Hold on. Michael Jordan texted Stephen A. Smith at 5.45 a.m. to tell him that Magic Johnson was better than Steph Curry. Take a look with a 146-word text. This is a true, true story. Take a listen. I have to read you a text that I received this morning at 5.54 a.m. Good morning, sir. Although greatest of anything is always a debate, I beg to differ on greatest point guard of all time with what you said. Magic Johnson is easily the best point guard of all time. Steph Curry is very close, but not in front of Magic. You must define point guard to really have a serious debate. Steph Curry is by far the best shooter. Of all time, yes, his movement has created many shots for his teammates. He's a career 43% three-point shooter. But Magic Johnson invented the triple-double. Not true invented, but makes it more noticeable in terms of the impact on the game. It's a point guard stat, to be honest. Magic was the best. We can go on, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you get the point. By the way, Magic has five NBA championships. Wow. That quote this morning well, at 545 was from Mr. Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Wow. How about and he, that? And he asked me. Wow. To, he asked me to read it on the air. He said, I'm not backing up for it. He said, I'm tired of this argument about Magic Johnson not being the best point guard in the history of the game. He is the best point guard in the history of basketball. That is from Michael Jordan. All right. I'm supposed to believe that Michael Jordan, who at 5.45 a.m. was probably rolling in from the casino. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Texted <laughs> Stephen A. Smith. She's so wrong. <laughs> a 146-word text talking about the comparison of Magic Johnson and Steph Curry. Am I supposed to believe that? This, do you, does, do you want me to believe that, Antoine? Am I supposed to buy that? Do you buy that? I don't know. I've, I've been, I've been, I, I consider it very fortunate in my life to be around Michael Jordan a lot. I don't know. I never heard him talk about Stephen A. Smith or Stephen A. Smith being one of his boys. So I, I, I would say that part. But let's just <laughs> I'm sure, I'm let's sure, I'm, Antoine, I'm sure let's, Michael let's, Jordan did text him that, but it was Michael Jordan from Hollis, Queens, not yeah, Michael right? Jordan, the GOAT <laughs> Michael Jordan. I don't know which George, Michael Jordan he was talking to, but it wasn't the MJ we know. Yeah. Let's hypothetically say he did, and let's just talk about Okay, sure. Said. Go ahead. <laughs> let's, let's hypothetically say that. I think people got to understand, Max Johnson is the best point guard of all time. When you think about it, and it, and it shows with the triple doubles and making other people better. Obviously, he played with some great talent, but Magic also made that great talent 
great. I mean, that's the, the worthy that great worthy was great in college, but he played with a point guard that ran with him that got him in the open court that mm-hmm. where skill set can show the Byron Scott's the Michael Cooper's of the world. I ain't even, I'm not even getting on three my dude Jabbar. We mm-hmm. all know how great he was. You know what I mean? But Steph Curry's deep, different. You know, what I mean, in the sense of the way he plays the game, he's a he's a scoring point guard. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen that in a while. It's not it's not been a lot of great scoring point guards. So I think that's when you talk about the best. I think Steph Curry's the best scoring point guard we've ever seen play right. in the NBA. And I think that's what people have to get the definition the right way about Steph Curry's game. Steph Curry doesn't make other players better. He makes other players better because he's so great. He demands double teams. He demands a certain defense that you have to play to guard him. So he allows other players to be great around him because it's opportunities that probably play with another point guard that wouldn't come up. So that's where it's just totally different now. But pure point guard, it's no question, hands down, it's Magic Johnson. For sure. Steph Curry's, a, Steph Curry's a scoring point guard. That's just where it comes down to it. And we hadn't seen that in, in such a, a point guard be able to average 30 a night. And you, you're seeing that. That's what Steph Curry separates himself. So it's two different categories with these two guys. That's what I hate about the, the Stephen A. Smiths and all these people that critique the game. Tell the people the right way. Magic Johnson was a pure PG. Steph Curry is a scoring point guard. That's two different things. And I think that's the problem when we have these conversations that people don't really break it down. So the common fan who may not understand gets it that, you know, Magic Johnson was a pure point guard, the guy that's going to give you a triple-double. Steph Curry is not a rebounding point guard. But he can obviously he can pass, but he's a low assist guy. He's a guy that averages five or six assists a season. He's not a guy that's gonna right. get you ten assists a game, but he's a guy that's gonna make eight, nine threes a game. He's gonna change the game. The defense has got to change their whole defense because this guy has scoring ability. So I just think it's two different conversations. I hate when people want to get into that conversation. Steph Curry's the best scoring point guard ever, and Magic Johnson the best point guard ever. Absolutely. I agree with that. And we, we dove into this conversation briefly earlier in the week. And I I don't have an issue with what Steph Curry said because Steph Curry is what the point guard position has become. It's become more of a combo guard, especially in the NBA, the modern NBA, where there really isn't a true position anymore. It's very positionless. You look at like a center, like a Jokic, he does what a center is not supposed to do. So with Steph Curry saying it's him and Magic Johnson, I don't particularly have a problem with it because Steph is, like I said, what the point guard position has become. But if we're talking about what the point guard position was, what Magic Johnson was, it's somebody who leads in more assists and more in more, you know, facilitating role than he does in scoring. Steph Curry is magic is that he can yeah he can go ahead and orchestrate the flow of a game but he can go ahead and shoot the lights out that is not what a traditional point guard is supposed to do a traditional point guard is more like a chris paul can score if they have to but more of a floor general more of going ahead and making sure that offense flows so if we're talking about the better point guard it's magic johnson because he was a true point guard do I have an issue with Steph putting himself in that combination in that conversation? No, because that position in what Magic Johnson was no longer exists. But I don't think that you can say as somebody who understands the game and understands what a point guard is, I don't see you how you can give Steph Curry that edge 
over Magic Johnson. Now, if we want to talk about overall careers and we want to have that conversation, then maybe we have more of an argument. But if you look at the way that the Warriors are constructed, it's in what, for people who aren't familiar, it's in what's called a motion offense. So Draymond, if you actually look at it, Draymond is the primary ball handler. He's the facilitator. He's the one that's out there swishing and dishing and making sure his guys are in position to be able to score. So if anybody is the true point guard on that team, it's Draymond, not Steph. Um, So again, I don't have an issue with what was said by Steph Curry because I do think if we're going to go ahead and just lump it all together, I would put him after Magic Johnson. But if we're going to go ahead and break it down in what it truly is, I don't think you can compare the two. How much credit do so and I ahead, also Tom. just to add to that, I just think, you know, the what the last part you just said, you can't compare the two because there's right. two different styles. It's yeah. just the styles are so different that you can't compare the two. You know, you gotta put, you know, when you start talking about Steph, you gotta get into this new age of point guards with him, Damon Lillard, um, just to name another those guards are scoring point guards. Mm-hmm. So you gotta it's, I think it's two different categories. You know, I look at a Steve Nash. I put Steve Nash more in a conversation with Magic Johnson because Steve Nash was a triple-double type point guard. Mm-hmm. Or Chris different. Paul. You know what I mean? Young or, Chris yeah, Paul. Chris Paul as well. Yeah. So those guys, are. I think it's just two different conversations. I think scoring point guards, the best scoring point guards that ever played the game, you, you're going to talk Steph Curry. You're going to talk Damon Lillard. Those are the guys you're going to talk about at that position. I just think it's two different categories, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just watching the game evolve into something being different. You, you know, we saw it early on when a point guard was really a point guard, where he didn't really couldn't score the basketball. Mm-hmm. And it just transitioned to now scoring. You can be a scoring point guard in the league and be very successful. So I just think it's two different categories. It's two different positions. And people got to understand that and, and understand it and stop comparing these guys right. to each other. It's not a fair comparison. Now, you can compare Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, the same position, same type of player. For sure. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, it's different. Mm-hmm. I think and Kobe right. and Kobe was in an era where I don't think that position list, that ambiguity of the position was as prevalent as it is now. I think even in Kobe's earlier right. years, there was still solidified positions. Like if you were a center, you played a certain way. If you sure. were a power right. forward, you played a certain way. I think now as the league continues to modernize, I don't think that that exists anymore. You're seeing so many different hybrids, which is why to me, Steph is a combo guard. Like Steph is a combination of a point guard and a shooting guard. You have centers that can play center and power forward. I mean, there's no true position anymore. I can't even name. I mean, Chris Paul, obviously, because he's still in the league. But if we're talking about the young guys, I mean, there's no Jason Kidd. There's no John Stockton. Those guys were those guys were true point guards. I mean, now you everybody is, that is a point guard is a combo guard. I I can't name some even like a Jalen Brunson who is more point guard than shooting guard still scores too much. Kyrie scores too much to be a point guard. I can't even off the top of my head name a true point guard outside of like I said Chris Paul, who's you know obviously from a different generation but still in the league. If we're talking new guys in the league, I can't name a single point guard. That is a true point guard. Can I throw one at you that's yeah. actually the leader? Who? In year in the last two years of uh with assists, Trey Young. I know he shoots a lot. Trey Young's not but... even a true point guard to me. 
I, I, I can't. Mean, he, shooting, he, so. he shoots it too much. Trey Young shoots. I, yeah, I, I know he shoots. I have to agree with you on that. It's, it's it's very hard to find a traditional true point guard right now. Chris Paul may be the last one that's in the league right mm-hmm. now that's starting and playing at a very, very high level. That's a traditional point guard. There's some bag ups that are just really bag up point guards. Right. But traditional point guard, you may be right. So it's, it's, it's just where the league is. Even I look at Jamal Murray, not the typical two, uh, point guard. Right. He's a scoring point guard. I mean, everybody, the guys that are playing in big situations, um, I like that. Even Kyle Lowry, I think you look at him, he was a scoring point guard. Right. Um, I think, I think so. I mean, I'm just looking at diff- all the different guys. You, that that may be, that's probably honest. I just think it's changed over. Magic may have been the last, Chris Paul may have been the last true traditional point guard that we've seen. Kyle Lowry was an interesting, he was like an enigma because he wasn't enough of a reliable shooter mm-hmm. to, to be such a combo guard, but he did shoot too much to be a point guard. He was like a very, very weird, like enigma of a player because if you watch him, he had to really get in a rhythm to be in, to be a reliable part of the offense from scoring. Yeah. But that wasn't always his game. It was very hot and cold. Like even when he was in Toronto, that's a, that's was really, point. it and was, it, he take... was like a weird middle. It was a weird, yeah. I don't know even what to call him. He's, he was a weird one. No, I just think as you hit it on the head, I think even if you want to take it back to even a couple years, I would say five years ago when it was a Derek, when it was the Derek Rose, Russell Westbrook show. Yeah. Those were, that was, those were scoring point guards. These right. are guys that, you know, that average 25, 30 points a night. So it, it even started back from with, with those guys. So I think, that, I mean, you're just making a valid point on that. It's just not a lot of traditional point guards. Well, Chris Paul's probably been the last. I mean, you think about Jason Kidd and Stockton, mm-hmm. those guys, obviously. But it's it's probably been Jason Kidd, Stockton. Then, you know, Chris Paul right. kind of carried the torch of the traditional point guard. But ever since, I mean, 08, when Russ and Derek came into the league, you know, the last 15 years has been – these type of point guards that are scoring point guards that can get you 25-30 on a given night and average 25 Right. And, and I mean, There's the easiest a- way that I can explain a point guard to people, because I know people in the chat are like, well, that's what a point guard... Yes, that's what a point guard has become. But it's a true definition of a point guard, the simplest way I can I can explain it is basically it's pass first, shoot second. Like, that. that is the mindset, is right. pass first, shoot second if nobody else is open now it's a completely reverse now it's like i'm gonna go ahead and attempt this shot myself and if i can't if somebody else is open has a better shot then i'm gonna pass it's backwards now it's shoot first pass second that's not a true point guard but i want to ask you i mean you you mentioned it's been like the rat the past 15 years do we see you know everything comes full circle eventually we we see it in the we see it in the nfl we see it in other sports Will it go in reverse? Will we revert back to traditional positions, or is it just too far gone? And the and the guys coming into the league are being taught too many different positions that will never really get back to true five positions in the NBA again. I think you're gonna see versatile players. You're gonna always see six eight, six nine guys handling the basketball, playing point guard, playing two guard. You're never gonna see the traditional guys anymore. I mean, some guys will be traditional. You'll get it a sprinkle of a guy here and there that's going to mm-hmm. be a, just a basic point guard. It's going to be a, a guy that just plays centers that just block shots and rebound. But I think the versatility and the way guys are training now, when you look at these trainers and how they're training guys and people are starting training at six years old with these personal trainers, the skill set is just going to be much higher. Right. So they're going to be more, ver- they're going to be more versatile. People are spending money on trainers at six, seven, eight, nine years old. 
I was just with a buddy of mine going to a baseball game, and the kid has already got a trainer at 10 years old for Dang. baseball. So I'm just seeing this in different sports. So it's just like I just think people are, are training their kids, so they're going right. to be more versatile. They're going to be more skilled. They're going to have ability to do more things that you that you don't see from a typical guy. So, you know, we used to see a traditional seven-foot guy be able only to play around the basket. You got right. Jokic and the B stepping out, shooting threes, pushing fast breaks, making plays for others. You know what I mean? So the game is going to continue to evolve. It's going to continue to be that way. Um, kids are really into training now. It's a big thing now. So their skill set is going to continue to be very, very high. Right. And we'll just be talking. To, we'll be talking about these guys. Hey, this guy's the next step curry. It's going to be, a, it's another kid right now that's, that can shoot it really good. That's going to be able to handle it and do some of the things that Steph Curry does. And then we may not see that traditional Chris Paul type of point guard anymore who just runs a team, can't really, you know what I mean? Not looking to score the basketball. Right, right, right. These kids, it's just going to be different now. And I think, listen, the the emphasis on or the the implementation of the three ball in the NBA was a game changer. I mean, you have to remember the three ball, you know, didn't really come into play, I want to say, until like the Iverson era you know, which made it different in terms of positions. Now, that being such an implement, such an intricate part of the game, you have to be able to kind of score that ball. But I want to name two players to you before we move on to our last topic that people threw out there as true point guards still in the NBA. Mike Conley. How do yes, you feel about that? I would yes. Agree with that. Okay. Yes. And uh, Tyrese Halliburton, which I find interesting. Um, I think he started there, but I think the success he had this past year, um, scoring the basketball, being that leader on that team, I think you're going to see him turn into more of a the Steph Curry, Damian Lillard type players where he's going to be the leading scorer on that team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he came in originally trying to be a, a prototypical point guard, but I think with the success that he's had now, I, watch, I can see him being the leading scorer for the next four or five years in that team and take it because he's got the ball in his hands. He's had success. So I just think it's it's hard for, for for me to say that. I think he's gonna he's heading to that that Damian Lillard, Steph Curry type of being aggressive on the offensive end. Yeah, I mean, we'll definitely. This is probably one of my favorite conversations in the NBA, comparing the different eras and things like that. And we're we're gonna continue to do that with our last topic. Um, Stan Van Gundy says LeBron's career is better than Michael Jordan's. And before I read the quote, want to send my condolences my love and my positivity to stan van gundy and the entire van gundy family his wife Mm -hmm. unexpectedly passed away yesterday the news hit um just absolutely devastating news she was young i believe 61 years old so just want to send our condolences to him and his entire family i i couldn't even imagine so we're thinking of you and you know we hope that we're sending you just all positivity but he said that quote if you want to tell me that Michael Jordan was a better basketball player than LeBron James, that's fine. You can make a case for that. What you can't make a case for is that MJ had a better career than LeBron. You can't make a case for that. Okay, that was via the Players' Tribune. Um, what do you think of that, Tuan? I know Michael Jordan is your guy. He's your goat. Let's let's dissect this as our, we have about 15 minutes to really dive into this. So let's mm. go ahead and do it. What do you make of that? Well, I disagree with it. Okay, in what part? Um, All of it? Some of it? Well, I disagree with um, everything about who's the better player and who's had the better career. Um, I think they both had tremendous careers. Um, But I Mm -hmm. think it's different when you look at Michael and when he's basically um, 
was six and zero in the finals in the ultimate. Um, to get there and not lose speaks volumes. Um, how good he was individually when you talk about all the individual accolades and awards he got, that speaks to itself. And just if you're a basketball player, just knowing basketball, um, I mean, Michael Jordan's the best. He's just different. And if you, if you, and I'm speaking from a guy who got the opportunity to, to play against him at, at its highest when he was at his best. Um, and I got a chance to play against the comeback, Michael, and to see what he was able to do at 38, 39 years old to come back in this league and still average 20 points a game and um, still be one of the better two guards. Obviously, the team, they didn't have the team success, but I've seen all that. And the impact that he had on the game as a, as a whole, um, I think also plays a part in that too. So right. um, Michael's the best. I, I think LeBron's a very close second. Um, I have the utmost respect for LeBron. I love his durability to be able to still play um, 20 plus years in the league and still be one of the top five players in this league uh, speaks volumes. Mm -hmm. um, and I would never take anything. I'm a huge fan, but Michael's still number one. Well, I definitely want to dissect this graphic that's on the screen right now. So this graphic dictates all of Michael Jordan's accolades in his career. And the second side of this graphic is the combined accolades of both Kevin Durant and LeBron James. Now, if we look at it, it took it takes rather LeBron and KD together to equal the amount of accolades that Jordan accumulated in his career just by himself. So obviously we have um, championships, we have steals leader, we have MVP, we have um, all-stars, we have just every accolade, major accolade that you can think of. Um, finals MVP, I believe that's down there. So every accolade that you can think of is on this graphic and Jordan has all of those by himself compared to LeBron and KD combined to equal the same amount or more than the same amount in some categories than Michael Jordan. The graphic is absolutely insane. But I will say this, though. We can take this off the screen now. I will say this. <laughs> Define career. I agree. Michael Jordan, better player. Don't think you can go ahead and argue that. People will try, but I think that it is what it is. The numbers don't lie. And I know people will throw in, you know, things like, you know, NBA all scoring, which is absolutely incredible. Shout out to LeBron. We have to go ahead and talk about career, though, because a lot of Jordan's accolades were a direct reflection of a team sport, just like they are for LeBron. You don't win the finals with one guy. I know we like to give we like to make it seem like you can, but it is a team sport. If we're talking about career outside of the NBA, I feel like that's when it can get a little interesting. Jordan did revolutionize the way that athletes and sneakers are related. His deal with Nike just changed the mold with the Air Jordan, absolutely changed the mold between the relationship of sneaker culture and the NBA. Obviously, he was in films, Space Jam. He played baseball. He did golf. He made Jordan brand the logo that has been seen around the world, made it a billion-dollar business. LeBron may not have had the same success in terms of sneaker game. I don't think anyone can say the LeBrons are better than the Jordan. The Jordan's the most iconic no. shoe in the world, I would like to no, say. Not even, that's, not, that's a not different conversation. Right. It's not even a conversation. But if we're talking about what LeBron has done in the entertainment world, I mean, uninterrupted, Spring Hill, he's produced films, he's taken schools. I mean, he 
has iconic commercials just like Jordan does. So if we're adding all these different layers, do you think in that regard, there's an argument? If we're not just talking about what happens on the court? No, because I, no, I don't think that because I think Michael Jordan paved the way for that. Okay. For people to, to, to use an athlete in, in different variations and be the sponsors or spearheaded of a lot of different brands that we never seen before. I think you have to, you know what I mean? Really put that shows on Michael because Michael started that. Right. And companies started to get behind and dealing with players and, and, and building brands behind them. Um, business is always different. Everybody's got different business minds. Maybe these opportunities weren't available to Michael back then. Okay. Like they are now. You know what I mean? So, I, I mean, that's not, we don't know that behind closed doors. We don't know what's coming on their phone and what's coming to them every day. Um, maybe Michael's don't want to be involved. I can't see the phone not ringing for Michael to be involved in any type of business thing. Maybe Michael's turned down a lot of things. Um, well, LeBron has taken a chance in certain fields, in certain areas. Um, but I think they're both great in their own you know, respect. But I think Michael paved the way for everything that's going on for all young ball ballplayers um, in this league. I don't disagree I with that. I, I, I think... I, I think he did pave the way too much. No, for sure. I think he did pave the way, but I do think that LeBron has the upper hand on him in two things. One, LeBron became a billionaire as an active player. And I know, again, we can relate, we can resort that back to Jordan paving the way. Obviously LeBron's Nike deal was a big reason of that. Um, Michael, you know, and his dabble in the entertainment world, LeBron took that and just times it by a hundred with Spring Hill uninterrupted. But I do think that one thing LeBron has ahead of Jordan is LeBron's activism while being an active player. Jordan was never that. Jordan wanted to go ahead and stay away from those things as much as possible. He didn't want to really get involved. LeBron, and this could also be attributed to maybe a difference in era, a difference in what the league accepts and what it doesn't. But LeBron, you cannot knock the fact that he has been very vocal about many different social and civil issues while being an active player and essentially made it okay for other players to do it. I personally cannot think of a player before LeBron who was as vocal as with what he was doing socially off the court before I get to LeBron James. I, I personally can't think of one outside of like a Kareem or, you know, a Bill Russell, obviously in a different, different era. I'm talking more modern. I can't think of a player that did it the level that LeBron has done it before LeBron did it, if that makes sense. No, I understand what you're saying totally. And you, you're hundred percent right. But I think, this is where I have a problem with that that conversation. Okay. Sometimes sometimes everybody's not interested in making a difference in that way. That's just not their field. Mm -hmm. And I just think, you know, um, we look at Michael and we say, well, Michael has the, the type of, you know, following and people listen to him and you, you want them guys to speak up on certain issues. And he hasn't been very vocal on a lot of issues. And, and LeBron has. And, and that's something that's, that's been great. But I just think... Sometimes that's not guys' interest. And they feel like that's that's not what they want to do. We've never seen, you know, Michael behind a, man, a president or getting into the president's, you know, election or any of these things. He doesn't really do it. He still doesn't do it. We don't see Michael jumping into that world. Mm -hmm. Maybe he feel like he may, he may not be comfortable in that world. 
where LeBron's a little bit more comfortable in that world mm-hmm. and taking that role. I mean, think about Kareem back in the day. Kareem was heavily involved. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I look at, I listen to the stories about me playing in Boston and hearing the Bill Russell stories and how, you know, the, the tough times that he went through and all that. Certain things are just not for certain people. And I hate to put, I don't want to put that in and making it, we're making the comparison about these two and whether we, how we view these guys. Cause that's not their field. Sometimes it's not their profession. They don't really, that's not something they, they get involved in. I just think Mike never got involved in that and that, that type of politics and, and getting into social issues. That's never been something that he's got involved in, period. And where LeBron has took a more active stance on it, but I don't think we can compare the two. It's just certain things that certain guys like to get involved in and certain people they don't like they don't like to get involved in it at all. If I don't have any knowledge of it and I don't feel like I could really make a difference, then right. I probably wouldn't get involved either. I'm not saying Michael couldn't make a difference because obviously he probably could have. But if I don't feel like I can make a difference and it's not in my wheelhouse, I'm not going to get involved in it. I want to add one more layer before we close out this topic and end the show. Let's talk about international appeal quickly. I mean, we talk about Michael Jordan. I don't think you can go anywhere where someone doesn't know who Michael Jordan is. I feel the same way with Kobe Bryant. He had a huge international appeal. Some people will argue that LeBron is last in that conversation i think lebron's international appeal though is pretty large i oh, yeah. i would say it's huge would you say it's on the level of michael jordan yeah it's on the level of michael jordan and kobe bryant yeah For sure mm-hmm. that oh that's easy no question um just just one the basketball part speaks for itself right so we know that but just being active and look stuff we just talked about socially mm-hmm. but also business wise i mean it's it's, it's a no-brainer lebron's definitely in that conversation easily you should be talking about that let's like michael and kobe the thing i don't think we could ever get around ever is probably going to be the jordans the shoes no i mean I the jordans like i said that. the jordans that i feel like the most iconic basketball shoe of all time i mean it's uh, it's, it's ever people still buying i like have you looked? Jordans are never going to go out of style. Right. Like I don't. I don't, I don't see no end right now. <laughs> no, like uh, e- the Jordan One alone will never go out of style. That is the greatest basketball shoe. I mean, when you just think about what Jordan and his mother did with that deal, and how it just changed the trajectory of basketball culture in the NBA, there would be no LeBrons. There would be no KDs. There would be no Kyries. There would not be these multi-million dollar deals for these athletes for signature shoes if it was not for the Jordan 1. I mean, you got to look at the, the the shoe brands that were relevant at the time. Adidas is not nearly Converse. as big as Nike. Converse. When Converse was the last time you saw one. someone hooping yeah, but, Converse? Well, I think, but I think what <laughs> separates too that we don't talk about enough and that's, I don't know how many pair, but I think women wear Jordans. Like I do. Many, you know what I mean? You do? That's what I'm going to say. I mm-hmm. think that's what you separate. I think that's what Michael separates itself from anybody that had a signature shoe. Because usually, no other, no, think about what other athlete has made a shoe that women actually will wear. Right. I don't think it's, I think Michael's probably got to be the only one. Yeah. Unless you're a sneakerhead. If you really think about it, I think that's what you, that's where the separation comes in at. I think you know players. You know, I just think women wear women wear Jordans. They, you know, what I mean? they do, and I got a whole bunch of them. That's facts. See, that's, yeah, even in the see, chat, that's what I'm saying. saying. So I just think you ain't you ain't you ain't seen no woman walking around with LeBron James shit on. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
They're not the unless you're a baller. Not unless you're a hooper. Not unless you're a hooper. Right. Same thing you Same thing for the KDs. Yo, my, I mean, everybody wearing Jordans. They're going to get them a pair. Everybody got them at least one pair of Jordans. That's, that's the thing about it. That's a fact. People wait in line for them. People kill for them. It's crazy. Listen, y'all, we have reached the end of the show. Held it down solo. Held it down with Twan later in the show. We did it. We finished out a week of paper out. Shout out to the whole crew. Woo out West, BC in the back. JP holding it down on the West Coast. Um, Brandon, wherever he is in the world, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll find him. Hopefully we get him back on Monday. But We will. <laughs> I want to go ahead and wish you guys an incredible weekend, a safe weekend, an enjoyable weekend, a healthy weekend, and we will be back Monday. Peace, guys. Bye. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.